All right, guys, good afternoon. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Romans? Good morning, it's still morning. Romans chapter 12, and if you would, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read from the text. My assignment uh, this morning was holding ground in the culture. And when I think about what that means, and the culture that we deal with on a daily basis, Romans 12, verse 2, is the first thing that comes to my mind. So Romans 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts now as we spend time in your word, that our hearts would be soft to receive your word, every portion that you would give us, that your word would find in our hearts a soft place, a fertile soil that's been prepared by your Holy Spirit so that we would hear your word, that we'd receive it gladly, that it would go deep in our hearts, and ultimately that it would bear much fruit. God, I pray that you would remove from us any distraction or any affection that would pull our hearts away from what it is that you would give us through the Bible. And that, Lord, as your word comes in us and we obey it, Lord, I pray you'd cause each man in this room to be a blessing to his family, to his friends, to those he works with, to those he goes to school with, and certainly those he fellowships with at church. And so, Lord, we're all equal, every one of us. We are 100% subordinate to you. God, you're our Lord, and we ask that you'd speak. So be our teacher, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please be seated. So my wife and I have five kids, and we have three uh, granddaughters. And so God has, has blessed us with a wonderful family. My wife and I got married uh, young. Um, as soon as uh, we got married, the Lord called me to go back to school to prepare to go into the ministry. Uh, she got pregnant on our honeymoon, so by the time I was in school and had finished one year, we had one baby. And then uh, she got pregnant again, and by the time I finished the second year, we had two babies. Then I went on staff, and by the time I'd finished through one year, we had three babies. And so we like each other a lot. And God has, has blessed us with a wonderful family, but one of the things that the Lord uh, blessed my, my wife with was a heart to leave a heritage. Our heart was to leave a heritage for our kids so that they wouldn't see themselves defined as being pastor's kids, but they really are those that belong to the Lord. And so God has lent them to us, and our heart has been to see them have their own relationship with God so that they can hear God speak and they can respond however he leads them. Even said, our kids are pastor's kids. And so they live in a way that, that many of you have seen pastor's kids have to live. They're under a microscope by lots of people, oftentimes feeling like they're a fish in a fishbowl. At one point in time, our three older girls were going into their teen years, and a lot of their friends were seeing certain types of movies that we weren't comfortable with, and so we said no to one particular movie night at a friend's house, and one of my daughters said this, Dad, we already feel so weird because we're the pastor's kids. Please don't make us any weirder. And when she said that, I thought of something that's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I want to read it to you in the King James Bible. It says this, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show, your, show yourself forth, um, giving praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so if you look right there at the text, it says that we are a peculiar people, meaning the world certainly thinks we're peculiar. The world might think that we're strange or weird, but the word itself means special. So we are special people. We're special to God. His view of us is over here. We're special. We're set apart 
He has plans for us before we were ever born. And his plans are for good, not for evil, to give us a future and a hope. But the world looks at us over here completely different. You're weird, you're peculiar, you're odd, you're strange. And that world is constantly pulling us or pushing us in the way it wants us to go. As the Lord is speaking to us the things that we need. That is, we need to hear from him what we're called to. Jesus said we are not of this world because he chose us out of the world, which is why the world hates us. John 15, verse 19. God called us out of darkness. We just read that in 1 Peter 2, 9. And said, come out from among them and be separate. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. This world doesn't just hate us, like Jesus said in John 15, 19. It's trying to change us. Notice again Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now notice what it says in a J.B. Phillips translation. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Listen again to what it says. I think he nails this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. You see, that's exactly what the world is trying to do. It's trying to squeeze us into its own mold, forcing us into what it wants us to be. And we see it at every turn and every corner. Now, when my wife and I moved up to Utah, we weren't sure what to expect. We knew that we'd be moving into an area that was pretty Mormon, 98% Mormon in our valley. And so we began to build relationships through school. We built relationships through soccer. We built relationships with our neighbors. And one thing we noticed that was common with every single person that we met and we built a relationship with, as they began to meet us and understand who we were, we, of course, seemed less strange to them. They, of course, less strange to us. And as we built genuine relationship, a conversation would happen every time. Something along the lines of, we enjoy you guys, we enjoy your family, we see the way you're wanting to raise your kids. It's similar to the way we want to raise our kids. We're probably more alike than we are different. As if we're almost the same. And the things that we're different about are not that important. Then they would go on and pretty much every time they'd say this, I don't ever want to try to convert you. And my response was always the same. I do. I have every intention to convert you. That is the reason why we moved up here. We know what God has done in our life and how God had gotten a hold of my wife and I. We were saved not out of the church. We were saved out of the world. We were worldly people doing worldly things. And God snatched us out of darkness and he translated us into a kingdom of light. And our heart is for these people, and we've been praying for them for years. We prayed for the place that we moved for four years, every single day, wanting God to prepare the way for us, and he did. And so when we moved there and we built these relationships, these relationships are important to us. These friendships matter to us. But what matters to us more than anything else is that these people would come to know the God who made them and the God who died for their sins and the God who is able to transform a life. In Luke 19, verse 13, Jesus says, Occupy till I come. The word in Greek literally means, Do business till I come. I want to see a world transformed by God. This entire world system is under the sway of the devil, and it wants to squeeze me into its own mold. And I want with everything I have to fight against that because I understand something I know you men understand as well. We are in a battle right now. We're in a spiritual war and it's not about who gets elected the next you know, presidential election. It's not about who wins in the midterms. It's not about having the righteous laws we want to see. As thankful as I am to see Roe v. Wade overturned, the victory that we need to see is when souls get saved when people's hearts are turned towards the Lord. And that battle is something that Satan is not going to walk away from without a fight. 
Ephesians 6 verse 12 tells us, we know this passage well, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, because of that, we need to put on the armor of God and recognize that the battle that we're waging is a spiritual battle. It's not about the things that we see. It's those things that are behind that veil. And what I see here in Romans 12, too, are three steps to us being able to hold ground in this culture. Notice right here at the beginning, Romans 12, verse 2, the first step. It says, and do not be conformed to this world. Here's the first step. Know the word of God. You and I need to be men who know God's word. Notice this. A new study published earlier this year by Arizona Christian University and George Barna found only 37% of senior pastors and only 12% of youth pastors hold a biblical worldview. This means that 63% of senior pastors and 88% of youth pastors hold unbiblical views about God, marriage, cohabitation, sex, abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, creationism, humanism, heaven, hell, salvation, and evangelism. Listen again to those stats. Only 37% of senior pastors, only 12% of youth pastors, by the way, only 4% of executive pastors. Meaning there are churches all around this country that are hiring people based on the skills they have to do business in the world. Not based on their relationship with God. Not based on their commitment to the word of God. And these are those entrusted to lead your kids. These are those who occupy pulpits. These are those who make decisions about what some churches do moving forward into the next decade or two. I think it's going to get worse. We need to see God do a radical work in churches. And when I say a radical work, a work of revival, that's not talking about people getting saved. That's talking about those who are saved living like they're saved. That we recognize that Jesus, who is our Savior, is also our Lord. And if he's not Lord of all, then he's not our Savior. And so we need to see God do a work, a fresh work of his Holy Spirit in churches. And listen, I've been around long enough in Calvary to know that Calvary Chapel has people just like those statistics. Not every person holds to the same thing that your pastor holds to. Not every pulpit is preaching the word faithfully every single Sunday and every single Wednesday. You guys are blessed. You're very blessed with a great pastor I got a chance to spend two weeks with in Africa. Who not only is an excellent teacher, but he's a person who loves people. And when you have a person who teaches the word of God and they love people and they're submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit, you have the three things you need in a pastor. And so, yeah, amen to that. Do not be conformed to this world. It's what the scripture says. The problem is that there are far too many things that the world says that are not true for the time that we have to talk about all of them. But let me just address a couple of those things. Understand this, that when the word is given to pull our heart one way, the world has a message itself. It's mentioned in different ways throughout the New Testament. Deceitful philosophy and traditions in Colossians 2.8. Fables in 2 Timothy 4 verse 4. Winds of doctrine in Ephesians 4.14. Worthless doctrine in Jeremiah 10. Doctrines of men in Colossians 2.22. Doctrines of demons, 1 Timothy 4.1. Strange doctrines in Hebrews 13.9, the doctrine of Balaam in Revelation 2.14, the doctrine of Nicolaitans in Revelation 2.15, the doctrine of Jezebel in Revelation 2.24, worldly wisdom in 1 Corinthians 3.19, fleshly wisdom in 2 Corinthians 1.12, and earthly, sensual, and demonic wisdom in James 3.15. Through all these different types of teachings and messages, 
Your hearts and the hearts of the people you love are being pulled this way and that. And we need to know, we need to know the word of God to be able to combat that. Turn your Bibles over to Psalm 119 real quick. Psalm 119, looking at verse 160. The world has a lot to say about the things that you would call worldview issues or cultural issues. And its message is powerful. The message is well-funded. The message has the airtime, whether it's radio or TV. They have control of the internet. They certainly have control of social media. We've seen that. They have pop culture in their back pocket. And so they're able to do whatever they want to do. And that message is forced down your throat every day. And even though you might have a heart for the word of God and be able to discern between the spirit of truth or the spirit of error, the people you love might be vulnerable. The people at work may be vulnerable. Those who don't spend time seriously in the word are vulnerable. Those who think listening to a podcast rather than spending time reading their Bible are vulnerable. Because we don't just need a message on the word of God, we need a message that is the word of God. Notice, the world says that the Bible is a book like any other religious book. Notice Psalm 119, verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth. So all of God's word is truth. It is literally truth. It's not a book about truth. It's truth. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Meaning God's word, when you read it, reads you. And God's word is powerful, able to cut out the things in you that have been infected because of what the world has said. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Then why would we not run to it? Spend as much time as we possibly can in it so that we understand all the things that are the issues of life in the context of what God's word has said. Our worldview, how we vote, how we think, how we interact with other people, it needs to be based on God's word alone. Because things are getting darker and darker. And yet, even in the darkest days, God's word is like a light that shines right through. Notice this, the world says we have no right to influence government. So the world says we're supposed to stay out of government, of course, citing separation of church and state, which, by the way, is nowhere in the Constitution. But even if it was, that shouldn't stop us. Joseph influenced Pharaoh, Moses influenced Pharaoh, Elijah influenced Ahab, Daniel influenced Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, and Cyrus, Nehemiah influenced Artaxerxes, Esther influenced Ahasuerus, John the Baptist influenced Herod, and Paul influenced Jewish and Roman leaders. So where's the separation of church and state? It's not in the Bible. The world says it takes a village to raise our children. That's based on a 1996 book written by Hillary Clinton called It Takes a Village. Have you read it? Anybody? Praise God you haven't read it. Listen, life is too short to read a bad book. So when somebody's trying to recommend some garbage to you, you don't have to go read it to find out it's garbage. What she says in the book, among many, many other things, is that to raise a child, you don't simply need a mom and dad and a family. To raise a child, what you need are institutions and organizations, including the government. So we need the government to help raise our children? No. We need a mom and a dad who love God. And we can raise our children in a wonderful way that produces great fruit. Ephesians 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And verse 4, 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Notice this. The world says they should have the right to kill unborn babies. Exodus 20, verse 5 says, thou shalt not murder. Exodus 23, verse 7 says, you shall not kill the innocent. Pretty clear to me. The world says we shouldn't be armed or protect ourselves. It's a big thing coming up the last couple of years. Luke 22, verse 36. Turn there with me, please. Luke 22, verse 36. Luke 22, verse 36. While you're turning there, <clears throat> my mouth is like, a, like cotton. I'm, I'm in the middle of a, a differential to try to understand things that have been going on with my health. Had a, a surgery, so I have this big scar right here. I've been joking when people ask me, where'd you get the scar? Because I say, well, my wife was on top of me, and she was cutting, and she went right here, and then she got to there, and then I woke up and stopped her. <laughs> she didn't laugh the first time I told her that. She didn't think it was funny at all. But uh, I take medications that make my, my mouth literally feel like cotton. So don't like that. Notice Luke 22, verse 36. It says <clears throat> this later on in the verse. He who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Notice again what Jesus says, just taking those, that phrase. He who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Now, there are many, even within the church, who've been infected by ideas from the world who suggest in amazing theological gymnastics that this doesn't mean what it says. I mean, what it says is if you don't have a sword, sell your garment and buy one. What does that mean? Going to Cabela's... Sportsman warehouse, private party, buying a weapon is more important than buying clothes. So a man going buying weapons, a woman going clothes shopping, the man is being biblical according to Luke 22. Right? So maybe sell some garments and buy more guns. It goes on, verse 38, and it says, So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said, It is enough. So they have weapons. Matthew 5, 39, of course, we know this. Jesus says, But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Of all the passages that we see in the Gospels, this is one of those that's, that's taken out of context more than any. I don't believe we see anywhere in the scripture that pacifism is taught. And when Jesus is speaking about this in the context, he's clearly talking about retribution or revenge. He's not talking about protecting the innocent, which is our right and responsibility, and self-defense. Remember, it's Ecclesiastes 3.3 that says, there is a time to kill. And that is a completely different word than what we see in Exodus 20, verse 5. There is a time to kill. If you are a law enforcement officer and you're doing your job, you might have to take someone's life. If you're in the military and you're in war and you're given orders, you may have to take someone's life. If you are an executioner, as it were, and you press a button, you may end up taking someone's life. As you are a citizen, and I believe especially as a man, it is your responsibility to protect your family and to protect those who cannot protect themselves. And that may require taking a life. <clears throat> I'm so blessed that I have a godly wife who's balanced and has her head on her shoulders because on January 6th, 2021, I woke up to my wife shaking me saying, Joe, I've been awake for a half hour, I've been praying, you need more ammo. <laughs> who, who wakes up to, to that? And so I, I looked over at her and I thought, I, I think you're hearing from God. I think, I think you're right. And so um, Dan, one of our pastors, we took off that day trying to go find ammo. And as I was getting ready to leave the house, she followed after me and she grabbed a hold of my arm and she said, Joe, you need more firearms. <laughs> At which point, I, thought, I love you. <laughs> I, I love you. You are God's best for me. 
And so we spent the day looking, and as I was looking at one particular place, I wanted to get a Tavor uh, 7, and, and as I was at this one place that I like, I was talking to the guy, and I mentioned what I wanted, and he looked at me, and he goes, today, January 6, 2021, do you want to get a Tavor? And I'm like, yep, yep. It's like, I got the green light for my wife. And, and, and uh, he goes, you're not going to find anything like that today. And so he walks away from me. There's a man maybe five feet away, and, and I'm talking to Dan, and I was just joking. I said, well, Vicky's going to be really disappointed because she sent me out to get a firearm, and that's the firearm I need. Right? <laughs> and so the guy looks over at me, and he goes, seriously? And I go, excuse me? <laughs> he goes, did your wife really send you out to get guns? And I said, well, actually, she sent me to get guns and ammo. Right? So, so he goes, really? I want a wife like that. Yeah. Yeah. Choose wisely. Number six. The world says police are villains and criminals are heroes. We saw that especially in 2020, but it's been that way for a long time with certain people groups. Listen, Romans 13 verse 4. For he and I believe this speaks about police officers here, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Amen? Amen. Like my friend Matt Lasik right here in the front row, likes to say a lot, if you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. So do the right thing. You do the right thing, and you'll have praise from the same. So, next one. The world says fairness applies to one class, race, or gender more than another. Let me read this one carefully. The world says fairness, justice, applies to one class, one race, or one gender more than another. We've seen this ramp up since 2012 when we had the most racist president we've ever had in our history. Galatians 3, verse 28, says this, In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The peace, the equality, the oneness that the world is looking for, it's not found anywhere except in Jesus Christ. Notice again, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Well, that means there's no race issue. Neither slave nor free. There's no class issue. Male nor female. There's no gender issue. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This is why 2 Corinthians 5.16 says this, for this reason, because we have been saved by an amazing grace, I do not regard anyone according to the flesh. He goes on to say in verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Meaning this, I don't stand up here as a pastor saying, as a Mexican, American, whatever I'm going to say. And frankly, I have a problem with seeing so often in churches that the race cards pulled as if somehow, if you're Mexican or if you're black or if you're wherever you are as a person of color or a classically mistreated person, you have the right to be bitter, entitled, and have a chip on your shoulder and rob the rest of a congregation from peace. Because I can say this as a person who grew up in an area that was all Mexican, and didn't have any Mexican friends or white friends until I was 10. And then had to adjust going from one school to the other and was picked on in fourth grade and went home to say to my mom, they're making fun of the fact that I'm bringing chorizo and eggs. And they said it looked like vomit. And they called me a bunch of names. And my mom said, so? Because I had a mom and dad who raised their kids the right way, that we would never have a chip on our shoulder. And she said, you know what your problem is? Oh, great. I didn't think I was going to hear what my problem is. I was looking for help. This doesn't help. 
you're my mom, you're supposed to cry, my little Hercules. No. She says, you know what your problem is? Go ahead, bring it. Okay. You care too much about what people think. Go to school, you eat your chorizo eggs, you don't eat them, I don't care. That's all you're getting. So I went to my dad. Why in the world I ever thought that he would be more compassionate, I don't know. Words were strong, there were tears, <laughs> and I moved on. And what they said was true. My dad actually gave great advice. He says, go to school, work harder, do better than everybody else. Give them something to respect. Show them something about you, and you'll win their hearts. And that's what we did. I love that. The world says homosexuality is normal, moral, and healthy. Romans 1 verse 26 says, For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. What's this talking about? Well, among many other things, homosexuality is described as a perversion. It's not natural. But listen, it's not healthy. And what I believe is being alluded to here in Romans 1, verse 27, when it says they receive in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due, is referring to the fact that later, Paul, of course, will speak to the issue of sodomy. Homosexuality, defined as effeminacy, and sodomy, both are described as sin. And sodomy is a wonderful word in Greek, which sounds like what it is, askenetos. What it means is one who deposits semen in the anus. And when that happens, that area that is made for a purpose as a filter loses its proteins that protect the human body against disease. And as that breaks down, the person who is an, a male homosexual will get the cold more often, the flu more often, and many other diseases. And listen, when you talk like this, what they say is you're not being loving. Well, I think it's loving to say that what you're doing is hurting you, that what you're doing can take your life. Because when God says, don't do something, there's a reason why he says, don't do it. God's word is clear. The world says there's nothing wrong with any form of sexuality as long as the sexual activity is consensual. They promote pornography, virtual sexuality, group sex, swinging, bestiality, homosexuality, and in some places, pedophilia. I hope you didn't miss it in 2020 and 2021 because almost every single news segment referred to, quote, underage women. That's a very perverted phrase. Underage women. There are women and there are girls. There's no such thing as an underage woman. This is classic, classical conditioning to get you to think the way they want you to think. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Notice this. The world says gender is chosen by the individual and is fluid. That's what they say. Well, last year, the people who believe in science said there are at least 72 genders. That's confusing. So confusing, I happened to be in Maryland when I was hearing about this, and I walked into a coffee shop, big, huge sign on the door that says, I don't care what gender you are, wash your hands. <laughs> 72 genders? And it's ridiculous. This year, the same people who believe in science have coined the term gender spectrum. Who here has heard that term? Gender spectrum. What it means is that a person can have unlimited genders. 
So you can have all sorts of genders you want, okay? Unlimited genders, and it can change depending on what you feel like. So if you feel this gender, then you're that gender. If you feel that gender, you're that gender. Well, I took my family out to a local movie theater, very expensive, $12 a pop. When I got the bill, it was just four of us that are still in the home. I was thinking, this is crazy, right? It says, it says three adults and one child. And so I said, well, we have two children and two adults. And then they corrected me, well, your son is old enough to be called an adult. So you have to pay for him as an adult. I said, I'm not talking about my son. I identify as a 10-year-old boy. <laughs> True story. She goes, oh, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. <laughs> yeah, you better. <laughs> and I was just joking, but she already did the thing, and she pulls it out, and she goes, here you go. Gave me the discount. And I go, I was totally kidding. I'm totally joking. And she goes, no, 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 go, go, go. Right? Like, did you say something about me being Mexican? <laughs> you get free stuff. You complain. That's crazy. Genesis 1:27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Amen? A hey, woman? Just kidding. Yeah. The world says one group of people are entitled to money and things another group of people have worked for. It's a long way of talking about socialism, okay? Listen, Exodus 20 verse nine says, six days you shall labor. Six. Six days you shall labor. First Timothy 6.6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Ecclesiastes 3.13, says, every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. So when you see your friend, you know, get a new house, you should be excited for him. Not asking if you have a right to be mad at him. That's ridiculous. Or your friend gets a new toy, you know, a new sea-do or something, stay close to him so he can take you on trips. <laughs> no? Your friend gets a new boat, fantastic. He worked hard for it, Yes. He worked hard for it. He should enjoy the fruit of his labor. It's good. It goes on to say, it's the gift of God. Wow. So when people are complaining about, oh, is it, is it okay? Am I right to be angry that so-and-so now has two houses? And they'll talk about this stuff, guys. They're talking about this on college campuses. And they're saying, yes, it's right for you to be angry. No, it's not. It's ridiculous. He worked for it. He earned it. Buy it, enjoy it, if the Lord allows you to do that. Or sell all that stuff and write out a check to Calvary Chapel, Rio Grande Valley. Okay. <laughs> That's guys. <laughs> Last one. The world says masculinity as we know it is toxic masculinity. Listen to it again. The world says masculinity as we know it is toxic masculinity. That sounds gay. <laughs> Doesn't that sound gay? Yes? Does that sound gay? It sounds gay to me, right? I heard a pastor two years ago describe what he would do if an intruder broke into his home and attacked his wife. He said, I wouldn't do anything because I'm married to a woman who knows when she dies, she's going to heaven. Wow. A man who does not protect his wife and kids or a man who does not die trying is not a man. It's our right and our responsibility. We need to remember that. The problem is our world has confused the expectations of men way back whenever that was in the 70s or 80s, get in touch with your feminine side, which I, I, that just sounds like a lot of work. I don't want to do that. You know? But C.S. Lewis said more previously, when C.S. Lewis said this back in the 50s, early 50s, in a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. Think about what he's saying. You might be saying, that doesn't sound very English, does it? 
Listen, in a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. It goes on to say, we make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the gelding, which is a castrated horse, be fruitful. This is what I call the wussification of America. It's been going on for a long time. Men need to push against that and recognize that the Bible gives us the perfect example of masculinity, Jesus. And in no way is Jesus feminine. He's masculine. And there's a time to cry. Is there not? There's a time to cry. 2001, the Yankees lose the World Series to the Diamondbacks. That was, that was a ripoff. <laughs> Luis Gonzalez, a bloop, single over second. It should have been caught. Guy running for first or second, should have been out, but it wasn't. That was wrong. And I cried. You know, Rocky Four. You can change. I can change. Everybody can change, right? Who likes that line? Come on, come on. Really? Go watch it. Rocky Four. It's moving. Lightning McQueen, your cars. At the end, right? Yeah, you got it? At the end, when he lets the old car win, you're like, yeah. Old cars rule. Right? Yeah. Listen, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, the NASB says this, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And notice, there's no explanation as to what a man is because up until recently, everybody knew, and not everybody was a biologist, and they still knew. We know what a man is. Then act like a man. Amen? Amen? Okay. So we need to know the word of God. But listen, we need to obey the word of God. It says, but be transformed. That word there is where we get the word for metamorphosis. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So do not be conformed to this world. Don't let it press you into its mold. But be transformed, be metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. Now listen, there are love languages. How many of you know the love languages? Raise your hand if you know those. Guys, you guys got to read and watch movies. So, words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. These were developed by Dr. Gary Chapman in the early 90s. He developed that through his work as a marriage counselor for decades. Okay. Now... There have been times that my wife has asked me how my day went, and if the day was uniquely bad, all I would say was, let's go to Nacho Libre's Tacos. Now, that's not a real place in Utah, but I don't want to use the name of the place because I don't want to badmouth anybody's business. But when I have a bad day, and only when I had a bad day, I would say, let's go to Nacho Libre's Tacos. And she knew that meant I don't want to talk about it. We're just going to go sit. And we're going to in the parking lot. We're not even going to talk. We're just going to, you know, get greasy and eat tacos, right? <laughs> and so it's not the best taco place in Utah, but it is the cheesiest, the greasiest taco place, which happens to have real hot sauce, which is important for a Mexican-American who moves from California to Utah with a bunch of white people who put ketchup on their tacos. <laughs> it's not right. That's an abomination. I don't care where you live. You, you, like... I don't mess with your macaroni and cheese. I don't mess with your, your, your mashed potatoes. You don't mess with our tacos. It's sanctified. It's holy. Right? Now, why in the world would I say that? Well, listen, because after a while of doing this, we saw a meme on the Internet, which we've kind of taken as our own, for love languages, words of affirmation, your tacos are delicious. Acts of service, I made you a taco. Okay? Receiving gifts. Here's a taco. <laughs> Quality time. Let's go out for tacos together. Physical touch. Hold me. Hold me like a taco. Okay. Now, why share all this? Here, listen, for one important reason. That's my love language. Okay. God's love language is obedience. 
simple obedience, and we could take you to a ton of verses on obedience, and they're all true, and you've heard them before, or you come to a place where you just obey. Leonard Ravenhill, one of my heroes of faith, said this, one day a soul will pick up the book of God, read it, and obey it, and the rest of us will be embarrassed. Simple as that. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Lastly, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So know the word of God, obey the word of God, and lastly, preach the word of God. Why do I say that? Here's why. Because it says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the will of God it's talking about? The 613 laws in the Old Testament? Is that what's going to be the thing that helps us to stand against this culture? Is it talking about the two commandments Jesus gives in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 39? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets, he says. Is it the New Testament passages that tell us specifically this is the will of God? For example, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Or 1 Peter 2.15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Is it those things? I mean, what is the thing that is the perfect will of God? Let me suggest to you this. It's all those things. It's every one of those things because it puts every single man in this room to walk with integrity to do what God says we ought to do. Because there was a man named Ezra in the Old Testament who lived in a very ungodly place under the rule of the Persians. And he stood... And he did not give ground to the enemy's culture. He stayed faithful to God, one who was set apart, who, was, by the way, was called special among all the people of the earth, just like you. And what did he do? In Ezra 7, verse 10, it tells us what he did. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, meaning to know the word of God. And after he did that, he did it, meaning he obeyed the word of God. And it goes on to say, and he taught statutes and ordinances in Israel. That was his call. That's your call. That's what every single man in this room is called to. But it has to be in that order, that we know the word of God, we obey the word of God, and then we preach the word of God. And if we do that, we fulfill our purpose and we find satisfaction, fulfillment, and meaning here. Let me finish with this. One thing that I, I, I really love about our kids is watching them kind of develop and grow and move from passion to passion. And when Caleb was small, um, Caleb, my son, who's now 17 years old, which is crazy that he's 17 years old and he's taller than me, which isn't impressive, but he's tall. I'm not tall. But as he's grown and matured, it, it's just exciting to see those cycles of life and what God may have next for him. This is a kid who loved the Bible, who would read it so much, he'd wear it out, and we'd get him a new Bible, and he'd wear it out. And we'd get him a new Bible, and he'd wear it out. And he would say one time to my wife, this is a good book. He was only six years old. This is a good book because it tells me I'm supposed to be nice to you. I like that. It's a good book because it tells you everything you're supposed to do. Know it, obey it, and preach it. Which was an interest to him because we were at a friend's church in California. His name's Josh, and Josh was preaching. Preached his heart out. Awesome message. Amazing message. Gave an altar call. Awesome altar call. Preached the gospel with love and passion, grace and truth. And as he gave the altar call, people responded, and my son was excited. We were sitting in the front row. Josh is getting ready to pray for people so it's quiet. And he goes, Dad! Because he can't whisper, even to this day. He's handicapped. He can't whisper, ever. <laughs> Dad! 
he did great, didn't he? I'm like, yeah, yeah, he did great, he did great. They're giving their lives to the Lord. They're going to heaven. He goes, that's what I want to do. And for a while, he wanted to be a pastor, and then he realized pastors don't make money. And so he didn't want to do that, (laughs) gave that up. And then the focus was his education. He's very smart, and he's taken college classes since last year, and he'll graduate from high school with an AA, and so he's thinking through, what am I going to do? And doctor, he wants to be a doctor. Okay, great. You know, and now he's not sure he wants to be a doctor. You know, I don't know what he wants to be. He's got time to think through that. Here's the point. I don't care. I don't need my kids to take a mantle of ministry. I don't need them to to complete something that's my passion. I need them to find their passion. And listen, maybe you're in this room, you feel called to ministry full-time, great. Maybe you're in this room and you think, you know what, I feel like I'm supposed to say I feel called to ministry, but I don't. Great. It doesn't matter what you do vocationally, it matters what you do before the Lord. Whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you have opportunity, preach the word in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, knowing the days will come, which are already here, where they will not endure sound doctrine, but with itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers who tell them fables, myths, lies. And so every man in this room is called to that ministry, which starts with knowing the word of God, obeying the word of God, and then you preach the word of God everywhere you go. Amen? Would you stand with me? God, thank you so much that your word has been given to us in a way that we can understand so that we know that though this world gets crazier and crazier and this world um, seems to embrace more bizarre things every single day. And there might be confusion that many people have, and maybe some have that confusion in this room this morning. The truth is, you've given us your word, and it's been tested and proven time and time again. God, philosophies will come and go, but your word endures forever. And so we want to be counted among those who would cling to your testimonies and run the course of your commandments so that you would enlarge our hearts. So that as our hearts are enlarged, being transformed by your word, we cannot possibly be conformed to this world because you have our whole heart. In Jesus' name.